0: Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 1557. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 1557 and 2 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 1557 and just a couple of pages over, 2 Corinthians 2.14. This is part five of our series, on the power of thanksgiving. Uh, No matter how challenging and adversarial our circumstances may be, we can thank our way to victory over them. And there are those who accuse us in the word of faith, of teaching that if you just have enough faith, you won't have any problems or challenges in life. And that is not true. The Bible does not teach that. I've never taught it. And if there are any genuine teachers of the Word that are teaching that, I'm not aware of it. Uh, If that's uh, a doctrine that's being taught uh, by someone out there, then they're not teaching what the Bible says. There's no such thing as coming to the place here on earth where we will never have any challenges or problems. But we can learn how to use our spiritual weapons to overcome them and thank our way to victory every time. And that's what we're studying in this series. We don't thank God for sickness. We don't thank God for debt and lack. We don't thank God for the problem. He's not the thief. He's not the destroyer. Sickness is not your friend for any reason. Say this out loud. Sickness is not my friend. I refuse to yield to it, and I refuse to use it for convenience. Children uh, are tempted to pick up on this at an early age. It's a temptation to use sickness as a convenience to get out of doing something they don't want to do or to get attention. They don't want to do their chores so they you know it's convenient to use sickness is a way to get out of doing their chores. They don't want to go to school today because they know they have an exam to take that they don't want to take They don't want to go to school today because they know they're going to have to run a mile in PE class today. But they know that if they stay at home, they get to watch TV, they get all their favorite food, and they get lots of attention. So teach your children never to use sickness to get out of doing something they don't want to do. It is not okay, and it's a good way to die young. You cannot get rid of sickness if sickness is your friend. People who believe that God is using sickness to teach them something, or if they believe that God gets glory from their sickness and their suffering, they're making sickness their friend. They may not be aware of it, but they're not resisting it, and they're not getting rid of it. Uh, You need to read Uh, Dodie Osteen's book called Healed of Cancer. Her husband was John Osteen. Her son is Joel Osteen, which you uh, may have heard. He's uh, now pastor of their church in Houston, Texas. I believe it's the largest church in America. Uh, About 20-25 years ago, she was unexpectedly diagnosed with metastatic adenocarcinoma of the liver and she was given five weeks to live. The doctor sent her home with no treatment. Didn't even offer her any treatment. She went home and she looked up 15 healing scriptures in the Bible and she began to confess them out loud every single day. Her family did not treat her any different. And, you know, in the natural, this would have been a temptation. It would have been a a temptation for them to feel sorry for her. Uh, It would have been a temptation, uh, you know, if they didn't feel sorry for her, it would have been a temptation to feel guilty about it. But her family stood strong. They didn't treat her any different. They just treated her as, as usual if she wanted a chair moved across the room uh, and she asked him to move it for her. They just said, you can move it. If you want it moved across the room, move it across the room. If that's where you want it, you know, put it there. So she, she began to, uh, well, she immediately just began to carry on her life as, as normal and on a practical level. She got up and she got dressed every day. She didn't sit around in her pajamas and her dressing gown. And she began uh, and continued to speak the word into her spirit on a regular daily basis, just like she was taking prescription medicine that a doctor had prescribed for her. And she continued to speak these 15 healing scriptures into her spirit. And the more her spirit got full of the word of God, it drove out every single cancer cell from her body. And five weeks later, she was still alive. And today, here it is, 20, 25 years later, she's still alive. And you can see her uh, sitting on the front row in their church when they broadcast their, their church services on television. And uh, she was, the, the Word of God that she spoke. Over her life, totally, completely drove out every cancer cell from her body. And what sometimes happens in miraculous healings like this, someone, uh, you know, will turn around and say, well, you know, th- this wasn't really a miracle. The, the doctors, um, you know, they made a mistake in, in her diagnosis. You know, she never really had cancer in the first place. So in order to avoid that, she had uh, a third-party doctor review all of her uh, medical records from the time that she first went to the doctor. And um, he had no involvement uh, in her uh, original diagnosis at all. He was a third party, not involved in, in uh, her, her original diagnosis. And he went through all of her medical records, and he concluded that the doctors had not made any mistakes. They had done all the appropriate tests. They had all been interpreted accurately. And she indeed did have cancer. But she didn't have it anymore. And so this woman did not make sickness her friend. She resisted it. That's the point I'm, I'm making in telling you this story. She did not make sickness her friend, she resisted it. Now say this out loud, sickness is not my friend, I refuse to yield to it, and I refuse to use it. Sickness and death are enemies, and they are to be resisted. As children of God, we have no fear of death, but we were not designed to die. According to the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, God planned for the life expectancy of man to be 120 years. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, they would have lived forever without aging. It took 800 plus years before the curse and its effects were able to kill Adam and Eve, physically. After they sinned, they quickly discovered that their tongue and their words had something to do with the change in their quality of life. They they now had to work hard and they had to toil and it was unproductive. It, it didn't produce anything. Uh... You know, they were now subject to sickness and disease, which they had never been before. And uh, they got a whole lot more diligent about what they allowed to come out of their mouth. They, they, they were able to connect the dots here. And they knew our, our words and our tongue have got something to do with what's happened to us here and in, in the change in our quality of life. Um, So they got a whole lot more diligent about what they allowed to come out of their mouth. And that's one reason they lived a lot longer than the average lifespan today is. Now, in our study here on the power of thanksgiving, we're in part five. We're thanking God for the answer, not the problem. Now, in our last session... One of the scriptures we looked at was Ephesians 5.20 and we talked about giving thanks to God always. We looked at 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and we talked about giving thanks in everything. Not for everything, in everything. No matter what the situation is, in the kitchen, give thanks for the answer. This is giving thanks in everything. In the car, give thanks for the answer in the garden give thanks for the answer in your pajamas give thanks for the answer in good times give thanks for the answer in hard times give thanks for the answer give thanks in advance before you see any change before you feel any change before you experience any change Begin to give thanks, and you're already beginning your way out of it. Now, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the word gives or giveth in the King James Version. This word gives or giveth us, its present, and its future. He gives us the victory, and he will give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is present and its future. It's a release of your faith to thank God for victories that you have not experienced yet. And it is connected to God being able to give you the victory. It gives God access to work on your behalf, to give you the victory. If you wait till uh, something's already changed or something's already happened in your circumstances before you begin to thank God, that does not require any faith. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians 2. couple of pages over, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Now, for our purposes here, we're, we're going to stop there. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Notice the words, always causes always causes is present and its future. Can you thank God in advance for something that has not taken place yet? Absolutely. Can you thank God for a healing you have not felt yet? Can you thank God in advance for the money to meet a financial need and you don't know where the money is going to come from? Absolutely, and this requires faith. You don't have to know how it's going to happen to have faith. This is the difference between walking by sight and walking by faith. Trying to figure out how it's going to happen is walking by sight. The Bible says faith is the evidence of things not seen. Or you could say, faith is the evidence of things not seen yet. But we can thank God for it in advance. Now, what we're talking about here is advanced Christianity. This is not spiritual nursery school. In Hebrews 5, it says, It's the meat of the word of God that causes us to mature from babyhood To mature spiritual adults, and that's what we're teaching here, and that's uh, that's what's involved here in giving thanks in advance, before we see any manifestation of victory. We say, "Thank you, Lord." My heart beats with the rhythm of life. We say, "Thank you, Lord." My joints are free from pain and stiffness. We say, thank you, Lord, I'm free from diabetes. If you go back and listen to the very first session of this series, uh, we talked about uh, the man who was addicted to cigarettes and wanted to be free. I, I refer to him as the cigarette man. Uh, he uh, He was given instructions by this minister who had revelation on this subject. He had revelation on faith and how faith operates in thanksgiving. And he instructed this man to begin to thank the Lord, to begin to say every day, every time he lit up a cigarette, every time he bought a package of cigarettes, every time he put out a cigarette, say, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. And he instructed him to, to do it even while he was still smoking. And this man was obedient to do it. You need to go back to the first uh, session in this series and listen to that. But as long as this man was complaining, God, why don't you take these cigarettes away from me, which he had been doing for weeks and months. As long as he did that, nothing was happening. He said, I've been prayed for. I've had things cast out of me, I've had things put in me, and I just can't get free from cigarettes. And the more he said that, the more frustrated he got. There's no faith in that. We're not waiting on God. The Bible says we are to be like our father in the faith, Abraham, who call things that are not as though they were. That was the subject of my first book. Calling things that are not as though they were. Changing your life by changing your circumstances. Uh, if you haven't read that book or if you've never read anything on that subject, you need to get a hold of it. You can get it through this ministry. You can get it at local bookstores. You can get it through Amazon. Uh, Abram. God God had to help Abram uh, receive the promised child, Isaac. And I'm sure you read the story, but uh, you need to see a very important faith principle here. There are a number of faith principles concerning Abraham, but God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, and he did it in advance before Isaac was born. He didn't wait till after Isaac was born and then change his name to Abraham and say, "Now you're the father of many nations." No. When Abraham and Sarah had no children, God changed his name to Abraham and he named he changed her name to Sarah in advance. And and every time Abraham heard his name, he heard father of many nations. And he began to get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I'm the father of many nations. He did it when he had no children. He and Sarah had never had any children when they were younger. And now, in the natural, they're too old. And Abram said to his friends, don't call me Abram anymore because Now, I'm the father of many nations. And he continued to say that day after day until it came to pass. And he began to call things that are not as though they were in advance before there was any manifestation of it in his life. Now, in the natural, Abraham didn't just have one child. Uh... Now, he has millions of physical descendants in the world. And we, as born-again children of God, joint heirs with Jesus, we are the spiritual descendants of Abraham because Galatians 3.29 says, If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Now, how did Abraham become fully persuaded? In Romans 4:20 to 21 it says this, He was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Notice the words, He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Underline that phrase and say this out loud. Giving glory to God in advance is strong faith. Let's say it again. Giving glory to God in advance is strong faith. That's what the scripture in Romans four twenty to twenty one is telling us, and this is how this is how part of the reason, part of the strategy, how He became fully persuaded by giving glory to God in advance. And the Bible says he had strong faith. How do you give glory to God? One of the major ways to give glory to God is by thanking him and by thanking him in advance. Now let's turn over to uh, Luke 17. And we're going to look at a scripture here that's going to uh, demonstrate this principle. Luke 17, verse 11. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now these men did not say, we just want to thank God that we got the leprosy. Because if we hadn't got leprosy, our families never would have been saved. No, they didn't say that. They didn't say, we believe our suffering and pain is bringing glory to God. Never. No, no, no. They did not say that. And if they had, they never would have been healed. Have you ever heard somebody make a statement like this? This is nonsense. And it's unbelief. God is more than able to deal with your family and get them saved without you having to be sick. Verse 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, back in in Bible times, back when this occurred, uh, people who had leprosy, were separated from the rest of the community. This was part of the public health measures that were taken. In today's society, people who have infectious and contagious diseases are not separated from the rest of society. But in Bible times, the public health policy was people with infectious diseases were separated from the rest of the community. And there was a a public health reason for it. And when they were healed of leprosy or any other infectious disease, they were to go to the priest who would examine them and they would give them the all clear to go back into the community. You can read about this in Leviticus 13, verse 2. Now, in the natural, there was no reason for these ten lepers to go show themselves to the priest's to be examined unless they believed they were healed. Now, we're talking about faith here. Outwardly, nothing has happened to them yet. Their circumstances haven't changed. They've still got leprosy in their skin. Outwardly, everything still looked the same when Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priest. Now this is the same situation the cigarette man was in back in session 1 that we talked about so you can go back and listen to that Now these lepers notice what they did not say they didn't say but Jesus we we thought you were going to pray for us aren't you going to pray for us you know now if they were walking by sight they would have said as soon as you pray for us, and as soon as we see we're healed, we'll go and we'll show ourselves to the priest. But there's no point in us going to the priest until we're healed. But as soon as you heal us, then we'll believe it. And as soon as we feel something, and as soon as we see something, we'll go we'll believe, and we'll show ourselves to the priest. No, that's not what they said. That's not what happened. Jesus just said, go. What did happen? Verse 14. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. Say it out loud. As they went, They were healed. Say it again. As they went, they were healed. This is a word for somebody. What were they doing by going? They were acting like they were healed. Only people who had been lepers and had been healed were to go to the priest to be examined. And these lepers demonstrated their faith by going. And they said, I'm going to the priest because I am healed. They still had the symptoms, even in the presence of Jesus. The symptoms only left their bodies when they were acting like they were healed. And as you go thanking God, you are healed, acting like you're healed, calling yourself healed, making plans to do things healed people do, <clears throat> the symptoms are going to go. Now in verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Notice It says, with a loud voice. While this man was still out of sight, as they went, the leprosy left their bodies. As they acted on the word, Jesus gave them, as they acted on the instructions, Jesus gave them, the symptoms left their bodies. And while they were out of sight, this man began to to yell with a loud voice. And Jesus heard him. Jesus stopped, and he turned around, and he looked back, and he heard this man running down the road. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And in a minute, Jesus sees a man come around the the bend in the road, and he's running down the road toward Jesus as fast as he can. And Jesus saw him coming, and verse 16 says, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Underline that phrase giving him thanks. This is how he glorified God by giving him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, I can go back home. Thank you, Lord, I can go back to work. Hallelujah. He wasn't timid about this at all. He showed he had some conviction. He had some conviction in his thanksgiving. He wasn't timid. He wasn't embarrassed. This man has been healed of an incurable disease that caused him to lose his job. It disfigured him. It robbed him of years, cut off from his family and the rest of society. And now, because of Jesus, he's no longer an outcast. He's free from the disfigurement of this disease. Now he can go home. He can go back to work. And this man has a reason to get loud. And he did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This scripture proves healing brings glory to God, not sickness. I'm going to say that again. This scripture proves that healing brings glory to God, not sickness. Verse 17. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Now Jesus is a faith Jesus. Only one of these nine men returned. The other nine did not return. How did Jesus know they were healed? He hadn't seen them. They didn't even come back. How did he know that they were also healed? He said, where's everybody else that was healed? What? Where's the rest of your group? Why didn't they come back with you? And verse 18 says, there are not found that return to give glory to God, save or accept this stranger. The only one who returned was a foreigner. He was not even a covenant man. He was a foreigner. Say this out loud. Giving thanks is giving glory to God. Say it again. Giving thanks is giving glory to God. I heard Brother Copeland tell the story once about a uh, a lady who kept uh, uh well when in their church church she went to they they had a testimony time and uh, you know every time they had a church service and, and the testimony time came she would uh, stand up and she'd she'd say I just want to thank the Lord for healing me of of goiter you know thyroid goiter. And it, you know, it, it was obvious to everybody. You could see it on her neck. It, it, was, it was obvious what was wrong with her. And uh, every time they'd have a testimony service, she'd get up and say, I just want to thank the Lord for healing me. And she did this for a while. And, uh, you know, other people in the church, were embarrassed about it. And, and uh, you know, they, they told the church leaders, they, you know, you need to say something to this lady. You know, she gets up and she testifies she's healed. And we can all see she's not healed. So you need to just have a few words with her, you know. So the church leaders pulled her aside and said, Now, you know, Miss So-and-so, we, you know, uh, as soon as you're healed, you know, you're free to get up and testify. But in the meantime, you know, you need to just sit there and, and just be quiet, you know. Well, the next service testimony time came, and she sat there, and she sat there as long as she could, and she finally jumped up, and she said, I just want to thank God. And right in the middle of the sentence, that goiter instantly disappeared. That goiter instantly disappeared. She was thanking God in advance. It was an act of her faith. God saw it, and he honored it. Amen. Hallelujah. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Giving thanks in advance. Now we talked about uh, in the last session about how one of the components of thanksgiving is acknowledging your help. That's one of the components of thanksgiving is acknowledging your help. By returning to give thanks to Jesus, this man here in Luke 17 is acknowledging Jesus' help. He's come back to say, Thank you, Jesus, for healing me. He's acknowledging that Jesus is the one that did it. Now, if the other nine did not come back to acknowledge Jesus' help, why didn't they also come back? If they did not think it was necessary to come back and acknowledge that Jesus helped them, that Jesus did this for them, then it must have been because they had a sense of entitlement. They must have reasoned that they somehow deserved to be healed. They, they must have reasoned, well, of course I should have been healed. Of course Jesus should have helped me. I mean, he's a preacher. That's his job. It's his obligation to help people. Is this a thankful attitude? No, absolutely not. They must have reasoned this way because they didn't think it was necessary to return, to fall on their knees and profusely acknowledge Jesus for his help. These men's entire lives have been totally, completely restored. And they don't even think it's necessary to acknowledge that it was the grace of God and the love of God that Jesus even got involved with them and helped them. Grace is God's willingness to get involved and to help us when we don't deserve it. And that's exactly what Jesus did on behalf of these ten lepers and numerous other instances in the Bible. These other nine must have reasoned that they were somehow deserving of Jesus' help because they didn't think it was necessary to come back and thank him or acknowledge that he's the one that had anything to do with it. Somehow they reasoned that they were worthy of this and somehow they merited Jesus' help. The truth is this would never have happened apart from the kindness and the love of Jesus toward them. And the one man who returned and acknowledged that only one returned and acknowledged it but the other nine did not see it that way. When you know, when you really know, that there's no way you would ever have gotten what you needed and asked for, except the Lord's mercy and grace causing it to happen for you, and He gave it to you, why wouldn't you run back, fall on your knees, and profusely thank Him with a loud voice? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Back uh, earlier in the year, I went to London uh, on, on a weekend for uh, a day. I had some business there, and I met up with a friend while I was there. And uh, when I first came to England, I, I lived in London for a while, and, and I enjoyed it. You know, I was, that's where I was supposed to be. But um, London's changed a lot since I moved here. And uh, now, praise God, I, I live out in the beautiful countryside. But on this trip to London, it, it didn't take but one day in London for me to come home. And when I walk through the door and close the door, I mean, I immediately fell on my knees, and I thank God for where I live. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I thankful that I don't have to live on the 30th floor of a tower block in London. Now, there's some people that are perfectly happy, you know, that they wouldn't be anywhere else. But, you know, the the point is, I thank God... That that's not me. Amen. I thank God He's blessed me with where I live. And the point is, if you can't go home and walk in your house and say, Lord, if it wasn't for you, we would have never had this house. And I just want to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. If you cannot thank God for that and hundreds of other blessings that He's given you by His grace, His mercy, His kindness, his goodness and His love toward you, then there's something wrong with you. And you need to take personal inventory of why you're that way. What did we say about people who think they deserve God's help? We, we've talked about this in previous sessions. People who think they deserve God's help are unthankful when they do get help. They reason. I'm in church every time the doors open. I help clean the church. I take people shopping. I visit people in the hospital. And I just don't understand why I'm not healed. They think they're entitled to complain because God hasn't done it for them by now. These people somehow think they have earned to be healed. They think they're entitled to be healed because of their good works. And if that's the case, then it's not by grace. And that's uh, most of what the New Testament talks about, is, is grace versus works. These people have come to a place where it's not the grace of God to heal them. It has become, I deserve it because I did this, I did that. It's my good works. I'm entitled to this because of my good works. And as a result, they're not being thankful. Have you ever known someone that was in trouble and someone came along and bailed them out and they would not even acknowledge it? It's not uncommon. I've personally helped people. I've bailed them out of situations before. In in one case, you know, uh, they came to one of my meetings one time And they've never been back. In this particular situation, as in almost every situation, it was my own personal money. It was not ministry money. It was my own personal money. And these people have never given one offering to this ministry. I did at least get an email. That's better than what Jesus got over here in Luke 17. He didn't even get an email thanking him. I've heard Jerry Seville say he's, he's bailed out people and families on numerous occasions. His own personal money, not ministry money. And some of these people have remained loyal and faithful to his ministry, but not all of them. They hung around for a few weeks or a few months, and they were off. Why? The same reason these nine lepers were off. They reasoned, well, Jerry Savell's a rich preacher. That's what he ought to do with his money. And besides that, I mean, really, it wasn't as bad as it looked. I mean, I was really on top of the situation. I would have handled it. It would have worked out somehow in my favor. Or they think, well, if he hadn't helped me, somebody else would. They would have realized, I deserve their help. Is this the attitude of a thankful person? No. These people have more than one big problem. These people were down for the count, and they know it. And somebody came in and saved their hide, and they won't even admit it. What is this? It's pride which is the exact opposite of humility. Humble people are thankful people. I'm going to say that again. Humble people are thankful people. This one man in Luke 17, this one man that was healed, that returned and profusely thanked Jesus for his help, There's one thing we know about this man. He was a humble man. you remember the parable Jesus told about the servant who owed his master a huge debt? Let's say, just for example, 10 million pounds. And he said to the master, just just be patient with me. I'll, I'll pay it all back in full. Just be patient with me. This was a ludicrous statement. There's no way this man could have ever paid back a 10 million pound debt in two lifetimes. That was a false statement. He knew it was a false statement. The master knew it was a false statement. But his master had mercy on him and he released him from this huge debt. Go back and read this, this parable again. Was the servant thankful that the master released him from this impossible debt? No. Did he express any thanksgiving to the master for releasing him from this impossible situation? No. What did he do? This servant turned around. He went out and he found someone who owed him ten pounds and demanded the payment. And the man did the same thing. He asked for patience. He said, if you'll just be patient with me, I'll repay you the whole ten pounds. But this servant would not, and he had him thrown in jail. And his fellow servants went and told the master what he had done, and the master was very displeased. And when he found out about it, He had this servant delivered over to the tormentors. If you want more grace from God, you have to be able to humble yourself and express it. What about Mary Magdalene? The Bible says Jesus cast out seven demons from her. She was so grateful to Jesus and what he had done for her. She was probably the most and certainly one of the most loyal, devoted, and faithful followers of Jesus' ministry. She was so thankful to be free from those demons. And she acknowledged that it would never have happened without the grace of God and the compassion of Jesus toward her. She didn't just send Jesus an email or a one-time offering, you know, thanking him for bailing her out and 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 reasoned, "Okay, I've done my bit, I'm off." No, she followed his ministry everywhere he went right to the very end. She knew what it was like to be demon possessed and she knew what it was like to be free, and she acknowledged That it was Jesus' willingness to get involved and set her free, and she never, ever forgot it. She was at the foot of the cross when everybody else had abandoned Jesus, including the twelve disciples, but not her. She was the first at the tomb on Resurrection Day. This was a thankful lady, and this was a humble lady. Think about this. What about all the other people? What about the thousands of other people that we just, just the ones we know about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What about all the other people that Jesus healed and delivered and helped and assisted? Why weren't they there? Why weren't they there at the foot of the cross? Being thankful is acknowledging the help, being grateful for the help, and expressing the gratitude. At the very minimum, these other nine lepers that did not return, at the very minimum, they should have at least sent Jesus an email. You know what I mean? In today's society, the very minimum Jesus should have gotten at least nine emails in his inbox thanking him, acknowledging and expressing their gratitude, and he did not even get an email from them. Even if some of these nine lepers were thankful for being healed, they should have come back and expressed it. They should have come back and expressed it. Now let's turn to 2 Kings, chapter 20. 2 Kings, chapter 20, verse 1. Here we have the story of Hezekiah. It says, In those days was Hezekiah sickened to death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now, as if this wasn't bad enough, that he's got a death sentence here. This is a prophet of God who's come to him and said, get your house in order because you're going to die. This is not a doctor telling him he's going to die. This is the word of the Lord telling him he's about to die. That it, it, this is imminent. Now this story also gives us some insight into the fact that some things are not set in concrete. Now when Hezekiah heard this death sentence, he took it seriously. And the Bible says he turned his face to the wall and started seeking God and praying. And in verse 5, Before uh, Isaiah had given him the word and was was leaving the premises. And in verse 5, God spoke to Isaiah and said, Turn again, tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. Now before Now, Isaiah has given him the word of the Lord. He said, set your house in order because you're about to die. Before he even gets out of the courtyard, uh, the Lord said, go back. Tell Hezekiah, I've heard his prayer. I've seen his tears. Not only is he not going to die, I'm going to add 15 years to his life. Now, Isaiah's probably thinking... But Lord, you just told me to tell him he's going to die. That's probably what's going through Isaiah's mind. But he didn't say that. He just did what the Lord instructed him to do. Hezekiah got better. And he completely recovered from what was originally a death sentence. But he forgot to do something. Now let's turn over to 2 Chronicles 32. In 2 Chronicles 32 uh, we have the same account of this story, a little bit different, uh, you know, because it's in a different book. But we have the same account here. In verse uh, 25, uh, 2 Chronicles 32. Well, let's start with 24. In those days, Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. For his heart was lifted up, therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Then it goes on to tell us how rich Hezekiah was, and God's the one who made him rich. But let's go back to verse 25. Hezekiah failed to give thanksgiving to the Lord when he was healed. This is what he forgot to do. Let's read this from the Living Bible. It says, However, Hezekiah didn't respond with true thanksgiving and praise, for he had become proud. What do we say about pride is the opposite of humility. Humble people are thankful people. Prideful people are unthankful people. It's pride that keeps people from giving thanks to God when He has done something for them. It's acting like it would have happened anyway and you would have gotten it on your own without God's help and without God's intervention. We should acknowledge when the Lord gives us something. We should be acknowledging He is the one who did it. That's why in my meetings, I usually give uh, people an opportunity to share a testimony at the beginning of the meeting. It gives people an opportunity to acknowledge what God has done for them and acknowledge, God did this for me. It would not have happened without his help. It would not have happened without his intervention. Okay, I did believe God. I did pray according to the word. I did stand on the word. I did confess the word, but at the end of the day, this would not have happened without God's intervention. God is the one who did this, and you're acknowledging what God has done, you're grateful for what he's done, and you're expressing it, and you're telling it. This enlarges your capacity to receive from God, and it qualifies you for greater grace and greater miracles. What do the humble get? What does the Bible say the humble get? The humble get grace and the proud get resisted. Regular thanksgiving is an exercise in true humility. I'm going to say that again. Regular thanksgiving is an exercise in true humility. It's a spiritual exercise. When God does something for us, we need to speak up and we need to acknowledge that He did it. When the doctors say, we don't know what happened, we just can't explain it, but you no longer have cancer. You no longer have Crohn's disease. You no longer have emphysema. Whatever the case is. You say, I know what happened. He did it. God did it. When they say, When the doctors say, you're just one of the lucky ones, you say, no, God did it for me. When people say, well, you're so smart and you're so talented, that's why you have a successful business. You say, no, God did it. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. And that is grace. Now, let's look at um, verse... Uh, I think it's, yeah, verse 25 in the New Living Translation. It says, But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him and he became proud. There is a correct response when God does something for you. And the correct response is to acknowledge that he did it, to acknowledge what he did, and you express it and you tell it. Hezekiah did not do that. This man was at death's door. He had a death sentence pronounced on him by God. He was the king. He obviously would have had the best doctors in the land, and the best doctors had no answer. But when he repented, and he turned his face toward God, God raised him up. When people say, you know, when, when people came to him and said, "King Hezekiah, we heard you were at death's door, but you're looking good now." What, you know, what should Hezekiah have have said? He should have said, "Yes." I, it's true. What you heard was true. I was at death's door. But I repented and I turned my face toward God and I cried out to Him and He raised me up. And He's the reason I'm standing here today. He's the reason I'm still alive. He's the reason I'm looking good. He's the reason I'm talking to you right now. That's what He should have said. Instead of saying, instead of saying something like this. Well, yes, you know, the Hezekiah family, we've always been quick to heal, and we've always been fighters, and and I just set my mind to it that I was going to snap out of this. That's the attitude he took. He was taking the credit for his healing. He was not acknowledging that it was God that did it, and God was displeased. We need to brag on God and not ourselves. We need to give God the credit, and not ourselves. We need to give God the credit, and not the doctors. Okay, we're thankful for the doctors. We're thankful God used them. They were uh, a channel, perhaps, in treating our symptoms and giving us more time to develop our faith giving us more time for God to work on our behalf. So, I'm not minimizing the importance of doctors. I'm just saying they're not the ultimate, uh, they don't get the ultimate credit. God gets the ultimate credit, and that's where the credit needs to go. We're not ashamed of the blessings God gives us, but we should not take the credit And we shouldn't use it to show off and impress people and bring attention to ourselves when God gets no credit for it. That is not going to please God. Hezekiah was ungrateful and he did not respond appropriately to what God had done for him. He was too proud to acknowledge that it was God that raised him up. But when he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to God, and he repented, he humbled himself. And I bet he began to praise God and give thanks that the judgment of God did not come on him like God had originally prophesied. He probably said, Lord, forgive me, Forgive me, Lord. I should have thanked you. I should have put it on the front of every newspaper in the country. I should have put it in the on the front of the newspapers about how you heal the king. What I should have done, I should have proclaimed a day of thanksgiving for the whole country. I should have given the whole country the day off. We should have had a Thanksgiving party. I should have proclaimed a public holiday. I should have stood up and told everybody how you heal the king. That's what he should have done. You know, he shouldn't have acted like that this happened and that he came out of this all by himself. Amen. Now I want to leave you with this. I want to finish off with this. Giving thanks to God is glorifying God. That's the point I want you to get out of this teaching today. Giving thanks to God is glorifying God. It is a major, powerful way to glorify God by giving Him thanks, acknowledging His help, acknowledging He's the one that did it, And expressing that gratitude and that thanksgiving. I think we need to give glory to God today. Amen. Hallelujah.